Clinical trials must recruit and retain patients to succeed. But it's easier said than done, and as a result, many trials are delayed, scaled back, or even scrapped completely, especially when they involve significant travel. Today's guest, Scott Gray, founded Quincierge to reduce logistical and financial challenges for patients to enhance enrollment and reduce dropouts. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave a review. Scott, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. David, thank you very much. Happy to be with you. Outstanding. We're going to talk all about uh, patient recruitment and retention. I want to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about your childhood and your background and want to know what was your childhood like and any childhood influences that have stuck with you throughout your career. Wow. Okay. So um, I was one of five children, um, twin brothers who are older, sister oldest, and then a younger sister. So I'm sort of fourth-ish. Okay. Um, and um, I was always like the curious one, the reader. I should have been the, the nerdyish one, like to do mechanical things and build things and, and figure out puzzles and all of that. So it kind of does influence what I still do today in figuring out puzzles of, of how to get people where they need to be to participate in clinical trials. And Scott, what did you do for your education after high school? So, um, well, in high school, I went through all of the AP courses, uh, advanced biology, German four, and I asked to take an extra major Spanish one. So, and then I had medical terms in Latin because I thought I was going to be a doctor. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, my parents, though, were divorced and things were financially not well. And I decided coming out of high school that I wanted a job so I could buy a car. So worked in a factory for three years, looked well, yeah, after two years, I looked around the manufacturing floor and realized I did not want to be that person in 30 years. Um, so went back to my desk at home and looked through all of the college brochures, selected a uh, travel training school, and that's what I did. I went through a travel training curriculum um, and then started in, in the industry, the hospitality industry. Sounds good. And I saw a few things along the way. Uh, Rosenbluth. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were my, they were my first employer mm -hmm. right out of travel school. And uh, there I got more experience um, learning the computerized reservation system. So what everyone now uses online to, to book travel and then was recruited by um, a manager who was opening another branch office for that company. And they were serving a large pharma company in their corporate meetings and events management. So that's where I learned corporate meetings and events management and began traveling a lot of the US and some outside of the US and in, in experiencing the world. Very nice. I think I remember Rosenbluth from back when I was working for Boston Consulting Group when we were doing the post-merger integration of two very big pharma companies. That with, makes sense. With yeah. two very different cultures. In one, the travel department reported into like the executive you know, services and another one it reported into procurement. And so the two used to come and we were, I won't say the city, but you know, one group used to stay in the Four Seasons and the other stayed in the Wyndham. And mm -hmm. then uh, one would fly first class and the other one wouldn't. And um, so 
we had all these very big departments to put together, but the travel was the one that was like the most difficult and got, you know, got special attention. So it was a lot That's of fun. That's interesting. Is, is that a company that now goes by three letters? Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I, I worked on their account, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. And they, they became a customer of my company, um, Gray Consulting, which we founded in 1994 to do corporate meetings and events. They became one of our first customers back in 1994. Nice. And remained as a customer until we went through strategic planning, exited corporate meetings in 2017, and we terminated our agreements in the corporate meeting space. Very interesting. Great. Well, uh, and then I saw in between Rosenbluth and maybe it's McGettigan. Is that what you're talking McGettigan. about? That, they were, they yeah. were another uh, corporate meeting planning company and, um, you know, honed more skills there, um, had an opportunity to manage um, uh, a department and other uh, the other booking agents who were working in the air department. And then I moved over again to the, the corporate meetings and events management planning side um, and again, had some more great. Uh, travel opportunities around the globe and and meeting other pharma execs. Their business was was also heavily um, saturated in the pharma sector, so I got to know a lot of the of the pharma companies and and the executives at their company. At those got companies. it. Got it. So um, now, and Gray Consulting, you you started and you continue to have that. How does how does that fit into the overall picture? So um, after after McGettigan, I took a director of operations position at a small meeting planning company in the Philly suburbs. Um, there was I was there for about eight months and the guy that owned it didn't have any more business for us to manage the rest of the years. So he terminated all the staff mid-year. Got it. So um, got fired June 30, 94. Best birthday present ever. Nice. Founded Gray Consulting then in August, and then we rapidly grew. And then back 10 years ago now, it is a little over 10 years ago, a customer for whom we were doing investigator meetings asked if we could figure out a way to, of providing logistical support to patients in a rare disease clinical trial that they were launching in 18 countries ex-US. Got it. The sites were remote from where the patients lived and we need to figure out how to get them. So we used our hospitality experience, our experience providing um, the logistics for physicians or pharma reps or sales reps when they would go to big global meetings. And we applied those sensibilities, including the hospitality aspect, to the way we built the Clincierge uh, business and now what we do in clinical trials. Got it. All right. So you were used to sort of the high end, high touch, all the little details that people need to do their job. I mean, I was, right. I was not joking about with the, um, with this merger. There's a big philosophical difference, right? One, it was, that, a, yeah, yeah. I, I experienced it as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the way they operated in the south was way different than they operated in the north. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, so what happened is you'd have one philosophy says, you know, that's expensive that's difficult. Someone doesn't need that. Another one says, I'm working on important and expensive things. And if I've got my maximum productivity, calmness, and mm -hmm. rest, uh, it's going to be worth it. That's um, right. And so I can see now already how we're talking about, you know, we'll, we'll get into, I'm, I'm sort of leading the witness here, but you know, what are the challenges in, in clinical development? What are some of the big issues that you, that you deal with? Why, you know, why does it matter that you, you have the clinciers approach even 
Well, so a, a really good question, David. The, the the thing that, you know, I didn't believe that this wasn't already a business when yeah. this particular client asked us to create this. They, we just had a good working relationship. So thank you for, for that opportunity is really all I was viewing it as. Um, but then in, after doing a market assessment of what's already out there, similar to what we were doing, we discovered that there wasn't much. And the types of patients that could benefit from having support services as as we were creating, you know, prepaying for travel so that it wouldn't be a financial burden to a family. And even having the knowledge of how to put those logistics together where a family may not have ever traveled and didn't, didn't know the first thing about how to get their child from Philadelphia to Chicago so that they could be in a rare disease or in a pediatric uh, clinical trial. So the, the surprising thing was there wasn't something out there that the it was, you know, it was the it was the same um, the measure of insanity. Keep doing the same yeah. thing over and over and expecting something different. So dropout rates in clinical trials continued to be hovering between 35 and 40 percent, which means if you have 50 patients in a trial that lasts a year and 10 patients decide to drop out mid year, you have to re-enroll those 10 and you now have they have to be in for a full year. So you've extended your your time investing in the operation of that clinical trial. And that's funded by the R&D budgets and pharma and biotech. They're now extending the cost to conduct the trial. They're extending the timeline in which they would like to get their outcomes data so that they can submit to the FDA and whichever governing body around the globe where they want approval and that they can come to market and begin recovering their R&D investment. With the availability of Quincier services, the, we, they discovered that the companies were discovering and, and now we are able to do this for many more that they were able to recruit faster because we were going to support the patients. They were more willing to enroll in the trial and retain at a higher level, get outcomes data faster, come to market faster. Got it. So it's a win-win for everyone. So the, the recruitment issue is one that is widely discussed and known, and there, there's different reasons for the you know, challenges of recruitment. Retention's also mentioned, although I'll say you give a higher emphasis to it. So I want to talk about retention in a minute, but on the recruitment side, uh, how much of a factor is it in recruitment, the sort of the clinicians type of services that you can provide? Is that a factor people realize up front, or is it more that once they are involved and they're like, wait a minute, I understood that my travel's paid for, but I, if I'm out of pocket for, you know, however much and I have to wait for reimbursement, you know, that's hard. Do people realize up front that, gee, this is going to be logistically challenging for me and therefore you can benefit there? Or is it only once they are enrolled? Um, actually, the, the availability of our of the Clincier services is used as a recruitment enhancer for those companies that are doing patient recruitment. And I'll use actually the very first customer, the one who asked the question and caused me to create this service. They they had a competitor in this rare disease space who had already launched their trial. Again, rare disease trial. There's a limited number of patients who have been identified who are even qualified for the trial. So it's immediately competitive at the recruitment phase. Um, we created the Clincier services. Our customer was now able to speak to the type of support that the patients would 
have access to, they recruited faster there than their competitor who started earlier, retained at a higher percentage, concluded their trial earlier than the competitor who started earlier, got the outcomes data sooner, and became the very first RNAi therapy ever approved by the FDA. So that's the, 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 the uh, a demonstration on the ROI of this type of service. Got it. Now, I can see that, you know, obviously, as you had described before, the ability to recruit quickly and then not just recruit quickly, but also to maintain those patients throughout the course of the trial means that you can have, uh, you know, you can, you can do your data lock sooner and everything moves along faster, which is worth a lot. And then also just there's the cost reduction as well. What do you do along the way, um, you know, with the Clinsier service to enhance retention and is it just a matter of it's just easier and more convenient for the patient or are there things that you do along the way to understand like the personalized need and even identify people at risk that maybe they're going to be dropouts? How, how does the whole process work? Well, the way we provide our service is by um, having a Clinsier's coordinator who works directly with the patient or the family unit in organizing each of their visits. And what our coordinator does, once the site has, has gotten us all the documents that the, the patients have consented for us to communicate with them, then our coordinators talk with the patients and, the, and, and or their caregivers to understand what their specific needs are. Are there special mobility or cognitive issues that we need to be aware of so that we can properly organize the logistics. Is, is there wheelchair access required for vehicles, for uh, hotel rooms, for the airline? Do they need to sit in a specific seat in the airplane? Does there need to be an oxygen tank that goes on board? So we focus on all of that, removing that the obligation or the, the, the complexity and the, the obstacle of the patient having to do that themselves. Plus, we get funded to, to buy all of those services, so there's we there's minimal um, there's there's minimal impact for the patient to be out of pocket with Got any expenses. And then we if if there is anything, they submit the receipts to us, and we're able to rapidly reimburse them. Now, you're describing you know, sort of the the challenges that somebody that has is travel either they're not used to travel or they're almost by definition medically compromised if they're going to be in. Uh, in a trial, so they may have special needs. How is this all compounded by, or how what happened during the pandemic? Good question. Okay, so um, there were some things that we innovated at that point because there were many patients who they wanted to continue through their trial regimen, and if the site was still operating, if they were not shut down with healthcare workers redeployed to COVID treatments. The site was still operating and the patients wanted to still proceed we figured out methods of getting the patients safely to their sites um, when when europe air travel was shut down it may have been that we organized a car and a driver who would take them on the on the long drive across country where an overnight stay was required in each direction there were other instances where we got approval for private jet transport for an immunocompromised patient who only had one more visit 
to finish out their trial regimen and for ha to have all of their their data be included in what was being what was being collected for outcomes. Um, another would be instead of patients going to sites, we organized some instances where site personnel went to the patient's home or sample collection. Um, instead of the patient dropping it at the site, we sent um, a hired car service um, or shared car service to go pick up that sample and take it back to the site. Got it. Help me understand if you have a role in terms of increasing equity and inclusion in clinical trials. I think about this has obviously been a topic that has gotten uh, a lot of attention over the past few years, but there's still a lot of challenges with it. I'm relating to what you said before about a patient who's, you know, who's never traveled, out of pocket is an issue, whereas I, I travel all the time, I can handle out of pocket, et cetera. So I think about it'd be easier for me to be in a trial for those reasons, plus others, and I wonder whether some of your services also are either indirectly or directly in support of those equity and inclusion goals. Yeah, our services definitely are. And we have, we have mandates coming out from um, even the FDA now. There, were, there are governing bodies around the globe that, were, that are ahead of what the FDA has now put forth in the expectation that companies are now in expanding the diversity in their clinical trials so that they can there's better understanding of the science the effect on different different genetics and you can't test it in different genetics unless you have a diverse population in the clinical trial it can't just be tested on wealthy 50 year old white guys who can afford to go to the site you know or fly somewhere um, because of the way we deliver our services and provide our services and that they're prepaid by the sponsor, we're able to level the socioeconomic um, barriers so that anyone can participate. Got it. So where do you take the business from here? I mean, now sort of post-pandemic, there's a lot of emphasis going on still with, with clinical trials, a lot of expensive trials, a lot of complicated ones, including things like gene therapy, where, you know, it's a more, more complicated than just, you know, showing up at a, at a site. How, how do you factor those things into your business? Or do you in fact go the other way and say these more mass market products where you would think there's less of a need for the real, you know, high-end clincier services, but you can still get that recruitment and retention benefit from what you do. I wonder how you think about that. Yeah, so um, in addition to continuing to expand on our concierge level services that we already provide, one of the things that we, we've done over the past several years is to, I mean, we came out of corporate meetings. This was a whole new space for us and the workflow is very different. So we took time to understand the workflow of the now more than 300 trials that we've supported, understand the, the variations and the consistencies in the workflows and we've invested in workflow technology that is just in its launch stages. One of the outcomes that we realized is we're now finally able to respond to many customer inquiries where they've enjoyed the benefit of the services that we've done on the concierge side, but can we also support what we're calling non-con, the patients who don't need concierge level support for example, um, a user interface on a, a cell phone where you log in and just 
order a shared ride service to go across town to your trial visit and we pay for it. So you don't have the burden of trying to submit receipts, et cetera. So we're looking at the ability to scale significantly in, again, the non-concierge side of the business and be able to support all types of patients in all kinds of disease states. And all, all, all along while continuing to main, maintain our focus of ensuring the best experience possible for the patient outside of what they need to endure in the medical aspect. Got it. Scott, I, I noticed on your profile a couple of uh, looks like longstanding volunteer commitments, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about a couple of those that I saw. I saw sure. the, the Smart Ride and also Valley Youth House. Uh, what, what are those and what's been your involvement? So Valley Youth House, um, I've been involved with for about eight or nine years, and that is in Pennsylvania. It, um, we do servicing for homeless youth, especially LGBTQ youth who've been discarded by their families. We provide um, counseling services, um, educational services to help them become independent individuals, um, such as um, how to open a checking account, how to interview for a job, um, there's a network of employers that we work with to try to get people into internships and they can get, they can become independent um, individuals on their own. So Valley Youth House, we, we're, we're in about uh, 13 counties in Pennsylvania. Um, the Smart Ride, uh, a friend of mine, a colleague founded it 20 years ago. Smart Ride happens this weekend, actually, here in South Florida, and it's a 165-mile bicycle ride from Miami to Key West. We ride out at sunrise from University of Miami, end up midday in Key West on Saturday. And the intent, the SMART, S-M-A-R-T, stands for Southernmost AIDS Ride Together, and there are benefiting agencies who serve people who are infected with or affected by HIV or AIDS. Got it. Such as I know a program in the past was the HUGS program in Orlando, where infants who are born HIV positive um, have access to so their families have access to support and healthcare treatments. Thanks for clarifying uh, the acronym. I, I would have guessed that after you said the length of the ride, it was because your muscles are, are smarting from all of the uh, all of the exertion. But and, and, I, and, and actually, a big confession: I've been the Ice Man for 16 years. That's my job again this year on the crew. I've never done the. I've never ridden the ride. The riders keep telling me my job is harder. Yeah. Uh, well, good. Let them think that. You know, I, I I would be with you on the ice truck, but uh, that all sounds yeah. great. Last question is if you've had a chance to read any good books lately, if there's anything you'd recommend for our audience. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, one that I just downloaded last week. Um, the author is Don, and I, Don, if you're listening, I hope I say your last name correctly, <laughs> Schmink, S-C-H-M-I-N-C-K-E. Um, and the book that I downloaded is called, I think it's called Winners and Losers. And what caught my eye, it's one of the taglines was about how to win, how to lose powerfully. And I'm kind of reading it to see how it applies to the risk and the willingness to lose that I've taken over the last 29 years in business. Great. 
Well, Scott Gregg, founder of Clincierge, thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast. A pleasure, David. Thank you so much for having me here. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.